0: Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim,
1: and I'm Christina Lim.
0: All the hands.
1: <laughs> I wish you could see. It's like jazz hands and gospel, like gospel, like. <laughs> feeling it. So I'm just excited um, for a number of reasons. Firstly, because we are almost at 50 episodes, babe. Mm.
0: Next week. Cray, cray.
1: Five zero. Yeah, can you believe that? No,
0: because last year we were like, okay, we're just going to do this till the end of the year, right? And we'll see what happens. Yeah, I still remember when we yeah. put out
1: episode zero out.
0: <laughs> we're like, what are we
1: doing yeah, exactly? <laughs> and now I like, you know, I'm always like, well, when people are like, oh, what podcast do you have? Like, oh, I'm going to listen and. And I'm always like, okay, our first few episodes, we're just trying to figure it out. I mean, it's good content, but the sound doesn't (laughs) look that great. Like, look past that. We do get better. Mm. (laughs) But all of that.
0: Yeah. So today, as we approach episode 50, Mm -hmm. uh, 49 is, is actually a really special one. We interviewed Jamie and Aaron Ivey. Now, you may recognize their names. Jamie Ivey is the host of The Happy Hour.
1: Yes, the podcast that we listen to often. She also just celebrated her one year anniversary of the book she put out called If You Only Knew.
0: Mm-hmm. And her husband, Aaron Ivey, is a songwriter, artist, a worship pastor, as well as an author of a book called A Steel Way Home.
1: Man, they do a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the parents.
1: Powerhouse couple.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're going to get into their family dynamic as we get into this interview. But really, we had them on the interview to talk about adoption.
1: Mm-hmm. So we have had so many questions come in from people who are planning to adopt, thinking about adopting, scared of adoption, or even have adopted children from um, in-state or international adoptions and are asking. Asking us, how does this dynamic work? What should we say to our kids? How do we fit adoption into our lives? How do we even know we're called to adoption? Mm -hmm. And... We just don't have that personal experience. And so we wanted to reach out to a couple who have lived it and are living it to be able to ask them your questions.
0: And even if you're not considering adoption and Mm -hmm. it's not on the mind, we do want to encourage you to listen all the way through to the end because there's, number one, they're a fascinating and fun couple. Yes, it's Uh, so hilarious. But you're going to learn a lot about how to... Uh, relate with those around you who are adopting
1: and who how to support them Mm -hmm. and as well as ways that we are all called to help those who are in need.
0: All right. Well, let's listen in. Well, Jamie and Aaron, it's so great to have you guys on.
2: Thanks. Thank you.
0: And on this episode, there are so many things that we could have talked about,
2: (laughs) could have talked about
0: uh, what you guys do uh, outside of, I mean, you know, for your day jobs, quote unquote, Jamie Mm -hmm. with your podcast and uh, Aaron with um, all the things that you do at the church and and the books that you have written as well. But we really wanted to hone in on and talk about adoption with y'all. Sounds good.
2: That sounds great.
1: So before we get into the adoption story, um, we want to play a quick game with y'all called Two Truths and a Lie. So for our listeners who are maybe not aware of the game, so Jamie and Aaron are going to tell us two truths and one lie about themselves. And Daniel and I are going to do our best to guess which one the lie is. So we'll see see how good they are at lying, maybe. Okay. (laughs) All right. Go ahead.
3: All right. Um, both Jamie and I, uh, learned how to play guitar when we were freshmen in college.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Both of you. Okay.
3: Both Jamie and I ended up with the same exact major at the end of college.
1: At the end end of of college. college. All Mm -hmm. right. What's number three?
3: Number three, both Jamie and I were mascots in high school and in college. (laughs) Have
0: you guys seen that show about mascots
1: <laughs> on Netflix? No. Okay, y'all. If this is the truth, <laughs> and I hope it is, <laughs> oh, <it's amazing. laughs> you, need, you need to watch it's, this.
0: It's incredible. It's, what's it called? Uh, you know, actually, I, I it might be on Hulu. I don't really remember, but it's it's kind of like inside the lives behind oh the scenes gosh. of mascots of like that major mascots incredible.
1: yeah like there's a college basketball one and then there's one like he um is in high school and he's kind of the quote-unquote like loner but once he puts on the mascot stuff he becomes like the most popular person <laughs> in the high school so y'all have <laughs> to check this out okay amazing. so should we okay. try should we go for number three what do you think babe
0: sure i mean part of it part of the two truths and lies you could go blatant lie right Which Mm -hmm. is actually truth.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Or you could switch some details here and there. Right. Right. So
1: So which one do you think is the lie? What would you guess?
0: I guess, I mean, Jamie (laughs) looks musical, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know Aaron plays the guitar.
1: (laughs) All right. I'm going to go, uh, let's go number one, the lie. Okay, Okay. let's do number one. Number one.
0: Do you think it's a lie that both of us learned how to play the guitar in college?
1: I think it would maybe be longer. I
0: think, Aaron, you probably learned how to play guitar in, like, high school or something
1: like that. So. <laughs> or <laughs> okay. when you were just a baby. Yeah.
0: Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, just out of the womb.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Okay, so that was the lie. <gasps> oh, no joke. Oh, that was the lie. Nice. totally right. Uh, okay. I learned how to play the guitar in college. That's true. Jamie has never learned how to play the guitar, probably never held a guitar or even <laughs> attempted. Okay. I will
2: never learn how to play the guitar. So there's that. <laughs> right. I
1: tried, and then my fingers started to bleed. I'm like, dude, it's not worth it. No, not, <laughs> you're out.
2: You're out. <laughs> yeah, but we both were mascots. I was a mascot in high school, and Aaron was a mascot in college. Okay. So that w- is true.
0: What kind of mascots were you guys? I was a Husky. Houston Baptist
3: University Husky. Okay. So okay. I, I had a giant dog costume and loved it. It was awesome.
2: And I was a knight. And so I had this like – plastic armor that I would wear in this big knight head. And then under the armor was a full on neck to ankle blue onesie suit that you couldn't pay me a million dollars to put on right now. But when you're 18, (laughs) it's awesome.
1: So that was me. Okay, two quick questions about this, because I wondered when we were watching that um, documentary. One, do they ever wash the suits?
0: They oh, did goodness. not wash the suits at Houston Baptist
3: <laughs> University like right now. Oh,
0: <laughs> I'm okay. like having
1: flashbacks yes. of
3: hockey. Like sweaty helmet? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Every person sweats in that suit. Oh,
1: yeah. No matter oh, what. You're dancing that, and you're burning calories. Yep. It's okay. Nasty. And number two, did you have to try out to be the mascot?
3: Yes.
2: Oh, yeah. I did, too. It's
3: a very rigorous process. A <laughs> um, <laughs> very, very rigorous audition process that both of us. Clearly accomplished.
2: (laughs) I was actually the only one that tried out. So I got the job by default. But I still did try out. But the hardest thing for me was I was then considered a part of the cheerleading squad. And nothing against anyone listening that was a cheerleader. Right. But I was not a cheerleader. I ran track and played basketball, but if I was the mascot, I could get on the field during the football games, and I love football games. So for me, it was like best seat in the house.
3: And I was technically, still am, the only mascot in the history of HBU that was (laughs) ejected from a basketball game. What did you do? (laughs) Well, I had this little bit, you know, it was a dog, a husky, big, big husky, fluffy dog, Then I had this bit where anytime a ref would make a bad call, I would have a water bottle, and I would, I would kind of like, walk over to him like a dog, and then okay. lift up my leg and spray the water bottle <laughs> no! on his leg like I was peeing on him for a bad call. And so I did that 10, 15 times in a normal <laughs> basketball season. But one ref was not having it, and so he's like, you're out of here. You're done. You're You're, a joke. Get you, out you're not peeing oh, on me anymore. Peeing
0: on me. yeah. <laughs>
1: So I guess these are all the funny stories that we can tell our kids, but like, yes. did you know that mommy and daddy used yes. to be blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: and they're like, exactly. no way.
1: You were once that cool. Yeah. <laughs> right.
3: Hey, but good job on uh, guessing the lie.
1: Well, detectives
2: in the making.
1: <laughs> I actually no like
2: that they thought it was a lie because they thought that you, Aaron, were playing the guitar way before that. But they kind of thought I actually learned how to play the guitar. So I feel right. good about that. Right. You're just giving off those musical
1: vibes, Jamie. Well, that was a great story before kids. So now that we have kids, let's get into sort of the story about that. If you could tell us and our audience, what are the names and ages of your kids and where was each child born?
2: Yes. So our oldest, his name is Caden, and he will be 15 in January. Teenagers. uh, Yes. And then we have two more teenagers, and then we have our son Amos. Oh, and Caden is our only biological son. And then we have Amos, who is 13 and was born in Haiti. And then we have our next son, Deacon, who is also 13. He was born in Texas. We adopted him through a domestic adoption. Okay. And then our fourth and final is our daughter, and her name is Story, and she was born in Haiti, and she's 11. So we have a full house of almost all teenagers
0: okay wow and y'all are
2: surviving (laughs) (laughs) we are surviving yes
0: (laughs) all right so with each of your children how have you explained uh, how old were they when you adopted uh amos deacon and story and how have you explained that to to them as they've as they've uh, grown older
2: Yeah. So Amos came home when he was four and a half story came home when she was almost two. And then Deacon being a domestic adoption, we actually were there when he was born. And so we have three different uh, scenarios, ages and uh, different things. And so... When we were adopting our kids, Amos and Story from Haiti, we actually were in that process for two and a half years. And during that process, we visited our kids a lot because Haiti is, you know, it's really close to get Mm -hmm. there so we could travel there and visit them. So we visited them often during that process. And so when they came home, it was like the end of this super long journey that our whole family had been on. And so Mm -hmm. adoption, I wouldn't say that there's ever been A moment that anyone in our family, Aaron or I, nor our kids can remember the time that we sat them down and we're like, Hey, we got something to tell you, uh, you're adopted. So it's just been a part of all of our conversations. So every scenario, every conversation has been different, but it's always happened.
0: So with Amos and story, then when you were visiting them, did they know that you were going to be adopting them? Yeah, the way that it works uh, in Haiti is
3: whenever you start an adoption process, at least it was this way with our kids, uh, whenever you start the adoption process, you are from day one responsible for all of their well-being. You're considered their parent. And so oh, even though there is a wait and a lot of, um, you know, legal kind of process to bring your kid home, they view you as their parent. The kid views you as your parent. And as a parent, you you have instantly become a father or a mother to them from your perspective from a heart level Mm -hmm. uh and even from um you know things that you're taking care of for them whether it's uh where they live or food shelter that kind of thing so from day one they were our kids and we we felt the weight of that and i think they Mm -hmm. did too and so when we went yeah it was it was mama and papa coming to visit them which yeah which was in some ways was Good, I think that they knew that they weren't alone and they were going to go home sometime, mm-hmm. but it was also incredibly hard for them so because they had a mom and a dad for, yeah, for two, two and a half, three years oh. that would only come for three, four days at a time and then well, leave. Yeah, especially the goodbye.
2: I can't even imagine Like my heart is breaking just thinking about that. Yeah, the goodbyes were the worst. And our daughter, she was younger. And so I don't know that she, I mean, she was, she came home at 23 months. She had no idea. We were just the people that came and visited and, you know, hung out with her every once in a while. But our son, Amos, had a really um, big understanding, probably from the very beginning, that we were his mom and his dad. And so the goodbyes. They were absolutely, you know, heart wrenching. And, and I, again, like Erin just said this, this was, we adopted our kids, you know, almost 10 years ago. So Mm -hmm. a lot has changed in the adoption process since then. So I have no idea how it works today because we're, we're pretty out of that. We just do our life here in Austin. But at the time, I mean, we were mom and dad to Amos and Story from the beginning Mm -hmm. of our process and the people that they were staying with, they treated us that way and we would come in and we were mama and papa. And so the goodbyes were heart wrenching for both of us, um, I think in the beginning of the process for Amos, you know, he was younger when we started. It wasn't as difficult. It was those that last year before he came home that he had a really big grasp over what was happening, that those goodbyes were really, really difficult.
1: And so did Story come home first then and Amos was still there? Is that what happened?
2: She did their paperwork. um, And again, how it was then when we were doing it a decade ago, they were not biologically related. So at one point in the process, their paperworks went different ways. And so Story actually came home three months exactly before Amos did. And so we, she came home and we were not certain on how long it was going to be for Amos to come home just because Mm -hmm. paperwork stuff and legalities, all kinds of things happening. And actually what brought our son home was the earthquake that happened in Haiti. Um, oh. It was, he was still there when that happened. And so after that happened, the, the, American government, because that's who we were waiting on. We were, mm-hmm. everything was done in the Haitian side. We were waiting on our government. Okay. They declared that certain kids who were so far along in the process, they would be able to come home to their parents and finish the process here. And so that right. earthquake brought our son Amos home.
1: So um, in your conversations with them, as you were saying that you've continued to talk about adoption with them and their stories, um, how have you handled the kids having questions about their biological families? And obviously there's going to be things that you, you can't, Answer because you don't know. So, how have you handled the the questions that you don't know the answers to either?
3: Yeah, we've tried to err on the side of honesty, and um, and then also use honesty in like an age appropriate sort of way. And so, more of their stories kind of unfolded to them as they've gotten older and they've had the 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 maturity and you know just the age and history to kind of um, know more about it. So, there's nothing that's that's really hidden from them. They know the the story of what happened. Into their birth father, their birth mom, if mm-hmm. we know that information. Right. Uh, and then just as they get more curious and they get a little bit older, um, you know, more of the details of those stories will kind of unfold. But we've we've tried really hard to take out as much mystery as we possibly can, because for an adoptive kid, mystery is usually the thing that causes a lot of doubt, a lot of mm-hmm. fear, a lot of anxiety. And so we've tried to be as honest as we possibly can. And, and you know, in the stories that we do have information about or a photograph of um, their first mom or their first grandfather okay. – Uh, you know, we have those pictures hung around our house and we talk about those people all the time. So Mm
2: -hmm.
0: yeah, we're trying to be as, as forthright as we possibly can. Yeah. Is that, is it any different for Deacon then? Because he was a domestic uh, adoption?
2: You know, the difference with Deacon is, um, we have an open adoption and so it's much easier to see a, you know, a birth parent in the States than in Haiti. And so neither one of our kids that we adopt from Haiti have been back. Although we hope that they want to go back someday and we Talk about that often and mm-hmm. we would take them in a heartbeat. Um, and so with our domestic adoption, our son Deacon, since we have an open adoption, when his birth mom used to live closer to us, we would see her, you know, a couple times a year. Okay. And so that is um that is the difference, is that the proximity that we're able to have that relationship with her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And with your son Caden, how has he been a part of this whole story as well?
3: Well, we've never we didn't take Caden while we were in the process of adopting okay. Amos and Story. Um, but we talked about it all the time. He knew about it. You know, he was also super young during that season, too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much he he fully understood other than we were always talking about these two members of our family that just mm-hmm. weren't home yet. And then it was a few years after Amos and Story came home that Caden really wanted to go to Haiti. And so I took him to Haiti on a on a short term mission trip. And Uh, he was able to really see where his brother and sister came from. I think it was really eye-opening for him, too. It was the only—it's the first time he's ever been out of the country, and which was really important for us. It still is important for us, for our kids to be, you know, out of the country often and and seeing different parts of the world Mm -hmm, and how people live just gives you such a bigger worldview. And, yeah, so for him to go— See that place that we talked about and we prayed for, and Jamie and I went to all the time, I think was a really good thing for him. It gave him a, a good perspective on his brother and his sister and where they came from. That's good.
0: Well, I, as we all know, every child has different personalities. Mm-hmm. So, have you okay. seen your children react similarly or differently to their adoption story?
2: You know, it's funny because they are all so very different. And, you know, one of our kids that we adopted uh, from Haiti it would go back tomorrow. Like that we're, they're just wanting to go back and they want to see everything Mm -hmm. and they want to meet everybody. And then one of our other kids is, tells us I'm just not ready you know I want to but I'm not ready and so that's two different personalities for sure. Mm -hmm. You know we've had um, at different stages of their life them ask different questions Mm -hmm. about birth parents and why and what and so we see some of our kids really kind of internally process more than others Mm -hmm. and others are, are external processors and so it is as parents trying to figure out which kid needs what at that moment with still doing, you know, exactly what Aaron said about being honest and taking away the mystery of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is fun. It's fun and interesting to see your kids react to things differently. And this is just something that our family has to deal with, with, with talking about, you know, your birth parents and why that happened and what life would look like the other way and all kinds of questions. And it is, um, we do see their personalities come out differently when they ask questions about these things.
1: Mm -hmm. Have you seen um, like an increase in questions as they've become like two of yours are teenagers or three of yours are teenagers and one is a preteen as they're trying to, you know, I think we all go through it sort of a self-discovery and who am I and whatnot. Um, Have you seen an increase in questions as they become
2: teenagers? For sure. And we see increasing questions around certain times of the year. I mean, Mother's Day always brings up a lot of questions um, because, you know, my kids are celebrating me. But we also every time Mother's Day comes along or our kid's birthday, we as as the parents, Aaron and I will acknowledge that there's another mom in their life, even if they've never met her, Mm -hmm. even if they never meet her, that they do have another mom and we never want to discredit her or take any. Thing away from her that she deserves because mm-hmm. they do have another mom and without her, they're not here. And so that time brings up questions as well for our kids when we take the t- opportunity to acknowledge their other their other parents. And I think, you know, just an encouragement, if anyone's listening that has kids through adoption, I think one of the fears that parents might have is if we talk about their other parents, if we talk about their first family or their Mm -hmm. birth parents, they're going to wish they had them and they're not going to love us. And we've seen the exact opposite. We've seen that by giving our kids language to talk about what happened and to give, to give credit to their birth parents and to talk about them and give them value that it actually brings up something in our kids of they want to honor their birth parents as well and Mm -hmm. they feel proud of them. It does bring up a lot more questions. Believe me, we would have less questions if we never talked about adoption or where they came from. But I think that would be easier for us and it would feel good, but I think it would be a detriment to our kids in the long run. And so we're willing to enter into those hard places with them because Mm -hmm. we see that it brings value not only for their growth now, but even as they get older and more questions will come up as well as they get older.
0: Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Yeah, I love that foresight. And as you've been talking through and and even every Mother's Day and you you bring this up and, and you're making it a constant conversation and, and just bringing it to the surface rather than, uh, bearing it down deep inside. I mean, you you said it's been a decade, right? A decade since you've um, last gone through the adoption process. So, has your why for adoption changed, or how has how, how it kind of maybe first outline what that why was and what uh, led you guys to adopt in the fir- first place, and how has that evolved over time?
2: Yeah, I think we've changed a lot. You know, we started this. We started adoption. Our youngest son is thirteen. So, you know, fourteen years ago we started building our family through adoption. And I think mm-hmm. at the point at that time, we were young, we were naive. We had never talked about adoption before we got married. And so what happened for us and our family is we were in a church where a lot of families were adopting okay. children from China. And so as we're open to the fact that you could adopt children, or mm-hmm. just we just were this was all new for us. And so that led us down the adoption process. And I think, you know, 13 years ago, we were pretty naive in a good way. I mean, our family was created out of our naivety, I guess. (laughs) But what we also thought when we started our international adoption is that love can just heal everything. Like Mm -hmm. we'll just bring these kids home and their trauma will be over and they'll be in a loving home and we'll love them and everything will just be fine. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, you know, I don't know if that answers our why, but we looked into like we want to give kids a home that don't have a home. And I right. think that hasn't changed. That's, that's still uh, why we did that. But I think our attitude towards adoption has changed, whereas we we love adoption. Our families built on adoption. We mm-hmm. think that adoption is a beautiful Uh, redeeming way in kids lives we also see a lot of other ways that we can help kids around the world other than adoption we Mm -hmm. see a lot of ways that we can help in country so that kids can stay with families instead of having to be adopted and so I think just we've grown we've become more mature in this we've learned more and so our why for adoption I wouldn't say has changed we we wanted to be parents to kids who didn't have parents Um, but I think our outlook and our ideas about adoption have evolved over the years
3: yeah, and what and how we communicate adoption to other people, mm-hmm. you know, because we'll have a lot of younger couples come to us and say, "Hey, what do you think about adoption? We definitely want to adopt." And I think earlier on, we would have been like, "Well, then you need to do it. Figure out how to do it. You know, mm-hmm. raise money, pray about where and who, and all that kind of stuff." And now, I think in a good way, a little bit of maturity and season in, in our adoption process has, has helped us really counsel couples a little bit better. And um, and counsel them in a way of, hey, not every person, not every single person or married couple should adopt a child just because there's a desire to. Mm -hmm. But all of us do have a responsibility and a role to play in caring for the orphan. It might just not always mean adopting them personally. Yeah. So it's changed from we want everybody to adopt children that that are in need to we genuinely want everyone to care about orphan care and to do something. To be in the fight to provide families and shelter and resources and covering and prayer mm-hmm. for not just orphans, but also uh families that are involved in that place that
0: there would even need to to be an orphan, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, it does. That does. And yeah. and for those of our listeners who I mean we have we have them on both sides right those who have adopted and those who haven't and and for those who haven't it's interesting as you kind of think about adoption there're really two sides that you can think through it's like oh it's a it's a me-centered approach um, I, I i want more kids or i can't biologically have kids so this is the right. only way that i'm mm-hmm. going to have kids and then there's the right. whole other side of oh look at the need that there are that there is in the world i need to do something about it uh, and then there's that other centered approach so so when someone comes to you now that you guys have really processed and and, and, and chewed this through and, mm-hmm. and, know, lived uh, it out. Yeah, and lived it out how do you how do you respond to both of those sides you know, I think we start with
3: not an instant kind of reaction to "Wow, that's awesome that you want to do it." You totally should. Mm-hmm. But stepping backward a little bit and going, "Hey, I know where you're at and what you're thinking through, and what 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 you should really highlight right now is that God is awakening your heart to care for an orphan, okay. to care about the orphan crisis." And so, what does that look like? There's a lot of ways that God is calling us as as people to respond to orphan crisis, you know, mm-hmm. and and helping them walk through that because somebody's kind of gut reaction that comes from compassion and empathy and even like a Christian kind of worldview, of course, is going to see children that are in need and go, I want to, I want to be a solution to that. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to help people see there's lots of solutions and there's lots of reasons that a mother or a child would be put in that situation in the first place. And so we need lots of different kinds of responses mm-hmm. to, to, to truly meet the, the needs of orphan care. And and mother's care and father's care and family care. There's so many other aspects to it that we just want to make sure people are informed about and, and then leave it up to them to discern which direction they need to go in.
2: Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I think one of the things that we're pretty passionate about now when we talk to people who are in the adoption process mm-hmm. or they are going to move forward into that process is to really educate and get training. Um, when Aaron and I adopted internationally, we did not, it, it, it's just too long of a story to, to tell, but it, we ended up not having an agency here stateside. Okay. We didn't really know anyone that had adopted from the country of Haiti. And so we went in pretty blindly, like I told you. And so I am a really big advocate of people having really good training mm-hmm. on what to expect when a child comes home, because the truth of the matter is is that adoption is always built on loss. It's always built on That's loss right. no matter if they yeah. come home day one or at 15 years old. And so I think families wow. need to be equipped to handle that. And, you know, we can honestly look back and say we were not equipped to handle that. And so we I really am um, um, want to tell people to go through training, mm-hmm. to meet people, to spend time with families who have walked through adoption mm, just so that you have a better grip on what life might and not always, but what life could look like bringing home a child from a hard place.
1: hmm. So, for our listeners who are like, you know, what, Jamie and Aaron, I I don't feel called to adopt, but I do have like family members or maybe neighbors who are in the adoption process, and I want to help them. But when I ask them, they don't they don't know like how how I can help because maybe they haven't gone through it yet, or every adoption process is different. So, from your own experience, what sort of advice can you give to our listeners and even to us about well, these are the practical ways you can help families through the adoption process, or even when they have the children in their own home? Like, what can we do to help?
3: I think there's a lot of things. The one that comes to mind is just the absolute need for a really strong, faithful, loyal community. Okay. Um, you know, when families do bring a child into their home, um, whether it's a young child, a newborn, or, you know, a teenager, there is such a dramatic need for people to be surrounding them and to be true community to them. Um, not a judgmental community, not a... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eyes kind of shut or a a naive community, but a community that just says, Hey, whatever it is that you're going to go through, I'm with it. I'm with you through it. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm choosing, deliberately choosing to place myself inside your suffering, your, your kids sorrow. I'm choosing to place myself in the middle of all of that chaos, no matter what happens and walk alongside you with it. A lot of adoptive families end up being isolated because there's mm-hmm. seemingly nobody that understands, you know, the complexities of that, that process. Um, and, and you know, although your listeners that you're talking about don't have to understand the complexities, they can be present. They can be there. They right. can listen. Yeah, they can pray. Good. They can empathize with. Those things I think are crucial for families that are saying we need help, but we just don't even know how.
2: I would say too, one thing that I think is important when families are walking through the process of adoption is for their community to view that child that they're adopting as a part of their family. And so mm-hmm. ask about if they've been matched with a child, ask about that child, ask how that child is doing. If they're waiting to be uh, matched, I mean, it is almost, they use this analogy all the time, and which is like you're paper pregnant. So mm-hmm. ask how the process is going, yeah. really genuinely care about what they're walking through because I know it's hard to care about something if you don't understand it. And so ask questions, get into their mind about what the process is like. And I think another practical way after a family brings a kid home, you know, for us, after we brought our kids home from Haiti, we really spent a lot of time kind of just laying low in our home and developing family rituals and developing uh, just time with just our family so that our mm-hmm. kids, as, as much as you think that they just show up at your house and they all of a sudden trust you and believe that you're their mom and dad, that's not true. You have to kind of grow in that and build yeah. it. And so we kind of hunkered down for a while, but we had some some friends who were faithful community to us who would – do things that were inconvenient for them, one of the things I can think of the most, it was probably one of the biggest blessings for Aaron and I is we would spend the time feeding our kids and putting them down and giving them baths and putting them to bed mm-hmm. so that we could be the ones to do that. And then we'd have someone come over and sit at our house, you know, at nine o'clock at night so that Aaron and I could go out for a small date. Oh, yeah, that's and wonderful. that's inconvenient for people because it's nine o'clock and you want to be on your couch watching TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And these are friends of ours that were married and had their own families. And so that really was something that I look back on and think, wow, what a sacrifice on their Mm -hmm. part. But it helped our marriage to be able to stay so strong in the midst of a crazy season.
0: That's wonderful. Now, Jamie and Erin, we... Uh, i think I think one of the things of just being human is we all struggle with our identity, and there are so many things that uh we place our identity in, whether it be work or uh what happened to us or things that we have experienced or things that we own and where we live and and all this stuff makes up who we are uh for your kids um how do you help them solidify their identity in Christ, knowing that? Adoption is a huge part of their story, but it's not their sole identity.
3: Yeah. Raising, you know, raising kids is really about raising future adults. It's Mm -hmm, so easy sometimes when you're parenting to think, well, I just want to make this person into the best third grader that they possibly can (laughs) be, you know, and, and this, no, my, my job here is pretty short in the scheme of things. And so I want to help this person become an adult, a thriving adult that's, that's rooted in their identity. That's away from where they live or where they're from, um, but their identity being, being rooted in being, um, a son or a daughter of God. And mm-hmm. so I think that just takes an incredible amount of intentionality. Uh, we, we talk about all the time how, you know, every conversation has the ability to be a formational kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. So That's just, good. you know, conversations around the dinner table about right. school or Instagram or what kids are talking about, uh, what's on TV, uh, every single conversation it has the potential to help form them and shape their identity and what they think about themselves and what they ultimately think about the world and God that made the world. And so we just I don't know we we feel like we we are trying to be more intentional, asking tons of questions, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the right time, but then also just listening a lot, listening sometimes without even. Offering quick correction, you know, just letting our kids sometimes talk. Jamie's one of the best at just, you know, while we're sitting uh, around a table eating, just asking a question. Hey, uh, I heard a a friend of mine say that their kid asked about uh, what this means and why someone would be racist in Dripping Springs, Texas, which is where we live. You know, and just dropping that kind of question, you get your kids talking. And mm-hmm. then there's not a need to immediately correct it or bring a hammer of truth right there. But a a long, you know, slow process of talking about everything and seeing every conversation as something that is going to form them, I think, is a helpful way of of looking at it. And then, you know, on the flip side of your question, Jamie and I also remind ourselves that our identity is not found in our kids. Mm-hmm. So our oh, our joy, our happiness is not found in whether they do great today or they're they're struggling today or next year is a hard year for them or a really great year for them. But our identity has to be rooted in Christ also exactly. or mm-hmm. we'll find ourselves being hot and cold, depending on how well our kids are doing or how right. what they're struggling with or what they did wrong this week. You know, uh, as parents, you can tend to see some of those things and go, well, we must really stink as parents. But <laughs> no. We're human and our identity is found in Christ. And so I think as our kids see us do that, it'll help them learn how to do that as well.
1: Well, that was awesome. I loved how you were talking about, you know, just keeping the communication lines open. That's really, and not quickly correcting or or all that, but just really being able to, to continue the conversations. So our last question uh, Jamie and Aaron are, what advice would you give to parents who have adopted children from different cultures or maybe countries um, about helping their child learn about their cultural identity?
2: Yeah, I think it goes along with about how we do all of our adoption stories in our family is that we talk about where they came from. Um, you know, we we cook meals from their culture that they came from Mm -hmm. and so it's something that's constant we we tell our kids we're really proud that you're haitian american i mean that's something to be proud of and so talking about their culture Uh, If you know eventually taking them back to see the country they were born in Mm -hmm. Aaron makes a phenomenal Haitian rice and beans so our kids love that when he makes that Um, small things like when the Olympics are on I mean we're cheering for anybody we see from Haiti yeah Um, Yeah. anytime we see something in the news or anything about Haiti we're bringing it up and so it's just a constant again like we do most things in our family it's Mm -hmm. just something that we constantly go back to and that comes up and that we're not afraid of it we're super proud that our kids were born in Haiti Uh, and so even sometimes as they go through teenage years, that makes them feel different and weird. Mm -hmm. We continue, like we talked about the identity, we continue pointing them back to the, that just because you're Haitian, you know, your identity is rooted in Jesus, but we're also super proud that that's where you are. And so we just have constant conversations about it.
0: I love that. That's, that's so great. And for, for Deacon and Caden, I guess it's a brisket. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) A lot of, lot of tacos, Texas tacos, (laughs) you know, that that's, that's such a, a great question for adoptive families, but it's honestly, it's a great question for every family uh, to be wrestling through is like, how do we not, um, just reserve our family culture to be identified with, with one, one ethnicity or one stream. Mm -hmm. You can be in any city in the world and even be an all white family and miss the opportunity to teach your kids what different cultures look like right there in your city, your neighbors, people at the end of your cul-de-sac, uh, other people in school that have a different skin color than your kids' Mm -hmm skin color, you know, just always every parent, no matter what the family's made up of is just going, Hey, this is the beautiful world that God has made. And look at how many different types of people and different types of countries and different types of cultures there are represented. And we, you know, every family should, should want and crave their kids to celebrate the beauty of that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jamie and Ern, we'd love to leave you guys with the last word. Uh, Is there any, uh, in in light of the fact that we've been spending the last half hour talking about adoption, uh, what would you like to tell our audience?
2: You know, I'd like to just, just remind them that adoption is beautiful and Mm -hmm. that, you know, in God's grace, he created this avenue of way that, that parent, that kids could still have parents in a traumatic situation and so I think it's beautiful I also would love for people to educate themselves about it you know Mm -hmm. and if someone's listening and and they're not walking through the adoption process or they're not ever going to walk through the adoption process I think it's good to just educate yourself about it anyways because your kids might be in contact with another kid who's adopted Mm -hmm. and so those conversations around your dinner table that don't really affect your family you think they actually do affect your kids in their classrooms who are going to have questions of Mm -hmm. why does that kid look different than his mom or this This kid only has one mom. And so I think it's a good thing to just, even if you think this isn't your world and this doesn't revolve around you, to still talk about and educate your kids and your family about why some families look different than others.
3: Yeah, no, I guess my last word would be uh, the adoption process. Uh, before and even after um, a child comes home is just really hard. It's hard for the mm-hmm. parent. It's hard for the kid. It's just a very hard, um, complex sort of thing. Uh, but in the midst of that, I think the hope that we have is that there's there's really no clear kind of earthly picture of how much God loves us Mm -hmm. than we get to see in the adoption story, because ultimately that's what, that's what God did to us. You know, God did the seemingly impossible thing of sending his son to come to us so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. And so as hard as it is, it's so, it's worthy of all of us doing and our kids going through really hard things because ultimately I think the world gets to see a real
0: perfect and beautiful, tangible picture of God's love for all of us. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jamie and Aaron. Okay, honestly, going back to the beginning of the interview. I couldn't believe that they were both mascots. Both
1: mascots. <laughs> High school and college. Can you believe that? <gasps>
0: oh, man. I'm just imagining them as mascots right now. It's yeah! awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. I want to be a mascot. I think I would be a great mascot. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. You would be. But I'm, I mean, I'm also a germaphobe, pers- though. Yeah. So I don't know if
1: I could do it. If they never wash that thing, I don't think I'm going to be able no, to do it.
0: I'm just having flashbacks of hockey gear and how nasty and sweaty all that stuff was and that was was my equipment
1: yeah (laughs) 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 that's your sweat droplets nobody else's
0: (laughs) awesome well we hope you enjoyed the interview be sure to go to inbetween.org slash episode 49 for the show notes and we would just be so honored if you would share this episode with some friends
1: yes exactly if you know someone who has adopted or is going through the adoption process please send this episode to them. Show them some love and be like, hey, I'm thinking about you. I heard this episode. And I think you would just be really encouraged mm-hmm. by what Jamie and Aaron are saying.
0: Yeah, and it's super easy to do that. You can either text them or email them inbetween.org slash episode 49 or depending on your podcasting app, just hit the share button and text or email it to them. And it's as easy as that. Well, Christina, what are we going to talk about next week on episode
1: 50? So you may have realized and been like, y'all, you did not talk about the new year at all. (laughs) You did not say what your goals are setting. You did not say what you're going to do to better yourself, so on and so forth. So this is the episode, folks, that you may have been waiting for. (laughs) And it's going to blow your mind as how different it is. Yeah,
0: Yeah, we're going to be talking about a year of grace and gratitude. So be sure to tune in and we will catch you guys next week.